series and then couldn't get back to it uh june the second and uh just preached one time on this and i didn't even get even near a, a, a tenth of my notes but i felt the impress of the holy spirit to keep going back there so i've uh, the last two weeks i had a, a week off every seventh week i take off so uh and i appreciate uh, mira ministering that sunday that was the 11th and last week you know was uh, father's day and i really had the impression to talk about fathers because we need strong families today and strong families come from strong men of God. And so let me encourage you men every Tuesday at 6.30 in the morning. We have a, we have a really uh, strong cup of joe. And then we sit in a circle in the back of this auditorium that we create and we just talk for an hour or as long as you can stay. And we, we're done by 7.30. In fact, we get up. 7.30, we're up and we go. Uh, but it, you, you really are ministered to. We've got quite a number of people, so you're invited. I encourage you to come. We weren't able to do it last week because of Mega Sports Camp, but we'll be back at it this Tuesday, and you're invited. So I know it's early, but you, I found out that God's awake early in the morning. And I found out that men like to talk early in the morning. So uh, what happens at men's coffee stays at men's coffee. We really have robust conversation. encourage you to come. You'll really make some friends. A lot of men are loners. And you know what? You're lonely with your problems. You're supposed to be strong, but often you feel weak. You're supposed to be on, and sometimes you feel off. How many hear me? And you just need a friend to say it's going to be okay. I've been there. You're going to make it, right? So men, come. We would love to have you. Our hearts are for you. Just want you to be aware. But I want to get back to this subject. I want to help you prepare for Jesus' return. We are living uh, uh, probably in the most unusual circumstances of time for a long, long time. The world is undergoing uh, tremendous uh, change at a great velocity. How many are aware? Most all of us are aware of that. I, I don't know of any uh, level of life that is unaffected by what all of us are feeling and dealing with, not just in America, but worldwide. There is a scheme there is a scheme by a conglomerate of people. How many, how many read and peruse uh, world happenings other than the legacy media or mainstream media? Would you please raise your hand? Oh, okay. How, how many only look at legacy or mainstream media? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm good. Let's be honest. I'm good. Well, you'll find if you'll just look around a little bit and read around a little bit, and, and uh, there's so much information available. And I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. There's so much information. I, I forgot information doubles every, every now, every few days. Did you know that? There's so much voluminous information available from so many sources worldwide. It used to be that it would take a few years for information to double, but because of the advent of the computer age and now the internet age and now everything's available at everybody's fingertip. You can, you, can, you can look at as much as you want to for as long as you want to. So you've got to be selective. Yes or no? So for me, my number one is uh, my nose is going to be in the Word of God. It, it's going to be. I'm going to hear the Word. 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 I'm going to hear the Word some more. And then if I got some time left over, I'm going to figure out what's going on around me. 
and how I can apply the word to it. How many hear what I'm saying? So put the word, if you'll put God's word first, then you know you'll find out you'll make it in the challenges of life. So anyway, we're just living in a really different time and it looks like we are, we could easily be the generation that sees Jesus come back. And I, I always put this uh, disclaimer on it uh, that, you know, God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Second Peter 3 says, so, you know, it looks like the jig's up and Jesus is coming back sooner rather than later. But, you know, he could put a hold on this thing and he could say, angels of God, everybody, chill out. I'm not ready yet. There's not enough people in the family of God. There's not enough people in the kingdom of God. And I don't want these people to go to hell. How many know God could do that? So I give him permission. But you know what it feels like and looks like? Jesus is coming sooner rather than, rather than later. So I'm, I'm just kind of giving an overview of what things will look like the closer we get to Jesus' return. I'm trying to make this as practical as possible. And yesterday, let me just tell you how the Holy Spirit works. And you've probably had this hope. If you've been in the Lord for any length of time, you've been reading your Bible, you know, in your devotional time in the morning, and, and, and you'll, read, you'll read a passage, you'll read a verse, and suddenly something slaps your jaw. Something hits you so hard it's like an illumination. You ever had that happen to you? Well, see, while I'm reading, I have that happen a lot. And yesterday I had that happen. Doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's like, okay. God downloaded. It had to be, it had to be a half a second. In fact, it started uh, Thursday. I was in my office as they were having mega sports camp kind of getting ready and uh, for today, and, and I mean, I had my stuff ready, my notes ready, but I saw something, and I want to share that with you, and it goes right along with everything we're talking about. So uh, let me, I'll get there in just a minute, but let me preface that with some things that are in my notes. My notes are available on our website, and you can actually follow along with me. I actually took time yesterday to uh, copy-paste what God gave me into the notes uh, so you can see it as well, What some of the things I want to share today. So, uh, uh, you know, I've got next Sunday, next Sunday, next Sunday, so I won't get through with all these notes that I have about what the world's going to look like before Jesus comes back. But um, I really feel impressed that I need to share these things. Did you know that under 10% of Christians even have a Christian worldview? Because they're so enmeshed in cultural norms, cultural ideals that they're blinded to what the Bible says is going to be happening, particularly prior to Jesus coming. One of the things in Hebrews chapter 6, and I mentioned this the first Sunday in June when I, when I began this series, um, one of the fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ is uh, eternal judgment. Now, if you go to the average church in America today, you won't hear a lot about eternal judgment because judgment doesn't seem to be a particularly popular subject. Uh, you know, when, when my, my daddy used to say my name a certain way, uh, he would nuance the second syllable. My name is, everybody calls me Mitch. My, my full name is Mitchell. Not many Mitchells in the world, but when he said Mitchell, I knew, oh, my goose is cooked. I'm done. That means judgment is on the way to me. And... Uh, yeah, I, I never forget those judgment times. So, uh, you know, but and so when you say judgment, people usually have the idea, oh, my Lord. But what you need to know in the midst of judgment, God has a purpose for his people. And God has a purpose for his people to be salt, his people to be light, and for us to be influencers of the culture around us as judgments begin to happen. So one of the major doctrines of Scripture is eternal judgment. And really, when you're talking about the second coming of Christ, that entire time period is a time of judgment and people don't realize that I shared this last time so go back to the um, 
go back to the uh, information from our, our service. I think it was June the 2nd, the first uh, Sunday of um, June, and you will hear the details of what I'm about to say here. Um, there are different kinds and levels of judgment in Scripture. How many know sin will be judged? We talked about that. How many know believers will be judged? You're not off the hook yet, you know. Jesus lets us stay in our physical bodies after salvation so we can obey him and we accrue awards in heaven. And there's an award ceremony when you get to heaven called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's an award place called the judgment seat or reward seat of Christ. So every time you obey God, every time you deny the flesh, every time you share Jesus with somebody, every time you pray, every time you read your Bible, every time you give, every time you forget yourself, put yourself last and put others first. How many know there's rewards that are accrued? As long as you don't do it to be seen or heard. If you do it to be seen or heard, it doesn't last, right? So, you know, believers will be, nations will be judged. We talked about that. Um, it seems as though, it does seem as though the United States is, is under a form of judgment right now. I'm actually reading back through the book of Jeremiah in my extra Bible reading I do throughout the day every day. And, uh, you know, I, I can't help back in 2019. Can I just talk? I got all kinds of things to say, gosh. I was uh, reading my Bible in 2019, and, and I was reading through the book of Jeremiah. And y'all, I just wept. I wept. In fact, they called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. And I just, I found myself crying. I said, oh, God, why, does I, why do I feel like I'm living? Why do I feel like I'm living in the time of Jeremiah? And people that should be obeying you aren't obeying you. And people that should be consecrated to you aren't consecrated to you. And people that are living in the blessing aren't walking with the blessor. Lord, what is wrong? And, and, uh, you know, so I, I felt for a long time that, um, that our nation's under judgment. And, and, you know, now we feel like we have a right to be blessed. And anytime you feel like you have a right to anything, you're wrong. In fact, listen to me, I, every morning, you know, I came to Jesus. I don't mean to cry, but in 1976, and I was wasted, I was broken. Drugs, sin, and... Uh, just messed my life up. And here I am, I'll be 65 in October. Most of my friends are dead that I knew as a child. A number of them are in hell because they never came to Jesus. Did you hear me? And there is not a day that doesn't go by that I don't get on my face. I pray on my knees and I say, God, I, you know, you didn't have to love me. You didn't have to save me. You didn't have to put your hand on me. You could have let me wallow in my mess. You could have left my life alone in my bitterness and my shame and my hurt and my pain and my sin and my drug mess and my lust. But somehow, somehow you reach down. And if you ever stop having that kind of attitude, how many know you're in trouble? Yeah. And see, I feel like our nation's in trouble. We've got a whole generation coming up that feel like somebody owes them something. Nobody owes you anything. The, uh, you know, the only thing I deserve is hell. But God gives me heaven. See? And if you got any other kind of attitude, you're pompous. I could use all kinds of adjectives. Bombastic. Go look that one up. You're no north end of a southbound mule. Look that one up. 
okay? But we're a nation under judgment, it seems. So we talked about nations being judged. Satan and the Antichrist will be judged. Uh, really, right now, we're living in a, a time in between. How many hear me? We're, we're in between the age of grace. We've been for 2,000 years since Jesus was raised from the dead, either 30 or 33 A.D., according to who you're listening to and what you know, scholars you're looking at. Nonetheless, uh, when the church age began, uh, that's the age of grace, and that is God made available through Christ Jesus forgiveness of sin and, and freedom to ex access to the Holy Spirit and to the presence of God. Isn't that an awesome thing? We left, we left an age of, of uh, law, and we went into an age of grace. We're living in the church age. But it looks like we're at the very last of the last days, the last of the church age. And the last of the church age is typified by the beginning of tremendous judgments. Now, I won't be able to get there today. In fact, I have I taught the entire book of Revelation. It took a little over 30 hours, and, um, and it's on our website. And in fact, I went back and uh, you may have noticed, Dan, I went and recategorized all of my notes from that because I've been going back and looking at them because it really took a lot of research and study. But, you know, it just uh, the things that are coming are horrendous and people don't realize Jesus said for the generation that lives just before he comes back, except those days that were, uh, were shortened, no flesh would be saved. And that's a tremendous statement from Jesus. So that just shows you how hard and horrendous uh, it will be. You know, if I can be real, my, I mean, my flesh, I long for, I, I long for pre-2020. Huh? Where people weren't so angry and agitated and aggravating. Where, where, you know, everybody seemed to keep, you know, whatever opinion. They had a little more to themselves than they do now. And uh, well, a few more smiles. Would you agree? But see, the pressure's increased. And I, I, do I like it? Uh-uh. But, you know, I don't think it's going back. I think, uh, I think we're going into something. There is a goal and scheme. Can I just talk a minute? I just got all this stuff. <clears throat> there is a scheme, and, and I guess you've heard it. It's called Project 2030. Anybody heard of that? And, and it's a goal to combine all of the nations of the world under one conglomerate of government. Have you all heard about it? And it, it's a real scheme by real people. Um, and uh, and uh, it looks like they're doing their best to bring it to pass. I, I read some some things recently that quite disturbed me. They, they, these folk that do this have trillions, not billions and not millions, but trillions and trillions of dollars. And what they do is they pay off the heads of state. And I forgot there's uh, many, many nations that they've paid the heads of state to do what they want them to do. Now, that sounds like conspiracy theory. The problem with conspiracy theory is often it comes to pass. Have you noticed? So it seems that way. And, you know, for years and years, I wouldn't even think about it or look at it. But um, I read a book back in 2020, July of 2020. I had a two-week vacation and read The Killing of Uncle Sam, which I dare you to read. And it, it was a real eye-opener for me. Uh, and many of the things that uh, they said are actually playing out right now but anyway there's a plan and scheme to conglomerate the entire world under one hodgepodge of laws so that no nation has its individualistic laws the united states for instance wouldn't have a constitution and bill of rights we would be like every other nation and there are there are some schemes being played out to try to get that to happen worldwide the world health organization is now involved I think there's a, a video out by Michelle Bachman. Then uh, she mentioned that by May of 2024, next year, 
uh, there is a plan for all nations to adopt these, um, uh, adopt some of the um, uh, desires of the World Health Organization that would actually um, uh, cancel our Bill of Rights and in a lot of ways cancel our constitutional rights and that those things need to be resisted. So what's happening behind the scenes is uh, there's a big conglomerate of people who are paying the legislators and rulers in various nations under the table to, to just look the other way and let these things happen. And it looks like it's happening. Did you hear what I'm saying? And it ain't fun and it ain't nice. They're trying to change your food. How many, I mean, if you read some of the, they want you to quit eating meat and eat bugs. They're, they're killing the cows and the sheep and the goats and they're, ki they're killing the chickens. Why? They want to starve you. They, they want to create a famine. Did you hear me? So it sounds conspiratorial, but there's enough of it going on. Just gotta be, you got to say something's going on here. So if you read a little bit further below the surface, there's a lot going on. There's also a, a, a quite a scheme uh, to unite the world with a digital currency. Did you hear that? And to do away, now the dollar's just about done for. Um, there are, um, I forgot, hundred and something nations, I think, that have already adopted another system that's outside of the auspices of what we used to call the almighty dollar to trade for goods and services worldwide. And, uh, and that's already in force, so that means that the value of the dollar decreases and the value of your money decreases and inflation hits the roof. The Bible, see, talks about all of this. How many hear me? So all of these things are current uh, right now in play. And, um, and, and then the, the borderless nations is another big deal. I, I know it's confusing and head-scratching to see the bottom porous border of our nation between here and Mexico and all of the people that are coming across. You're supposed to go through a process to be processed into a nation, yes or no? But uh, this is not just happening in the United States. This is happening across the world where people are being shipped from one nation to another on purpose to amalgamate the world so that there is no national history in any nation. There are no national values in any nation. It's all conglomerate. It's all joined together. And the, behind that is a one-world ideology, a one-world scheme. And that's what John, God so John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation. That's going to culminate in, and I'm going to talk about this in just a minute. I didn't have any ideas going to say it this way, but... Uh, that's going to culminate in some kind of a mark being placed somewhere on your physical body so you can't buy or sell or do anything financially without it. And God said, if you take that mark, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So a lot of people are banking on the rapture to occur prior to all this happening. I hope that does. And if it does, as we're in the air, heading towards heaven, floating through the clouds, I'll say, you were right, glory to God. But if you're not right, and we've got to endure some of this stuff, and we may see the rise of the Antichrist, that one world person that oversees this conglomerate I'm talking about, the world will not call him Antichrist. He'll just be a leader of some kind. That's not been revealed yet. Not a lot of people have ideas, but nobody knows who that person is. But nonetheless, once that occurs, we could be here for a period of time. But we do have the promises of God that before the worst comes, we're going up. Now, that's good news, right? Until then, we have to endure. So I just want to help you. Is that okay? So you may or may not agree with some things I say as I go through this, and I won't get through 
uh, much of this today that's in my notes. I, I got something that God gave me again last Thursday and, and yesterday I really uh, got after it and, and saw exactly wanted to, what he wanted me to share. Here's the deal. Here's the skinny. We're living between the age of grace and the age of judgment and all these things the Bible said would happen prior to Jesus returning. They're slowly beginning to come to pass. That's the other thing. The Bible doesn't happen like that. Life is just kind of, you know, every, it's, it's daily, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, you don't grow up very quickly. You grow little bit by little bit. You know, we learn scripturally, spiritually, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And life is kind of that way. So these things gradually encroach on us. And the changes are so gradual that you make mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual adaptations without even realizing that you're changing. Is that true? So you just got to be aware. It's kind of like frog in the kettle. You don't realize things are heating up until it's, it's got you. So it's kind of where we are between the age of grace and, the, and, and then the judgments that are to come. And um, it does feel like we have turned a corner in, 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 in the end game and things are speeding up a good bit. But here's the promises of God. In the middle of all the turmoil, don't forget that you are a child of God and that God has made a covenant with you. And in that covenant includes his provision, it includes his protection, and it includes his guidance for you. In fact, don't forget, let me remind you, Galatians 3.13, listen to this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law or the broken law, being made a curse for us as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that the blessing of Abraham, everybody say the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Genesis 12, God went to Ur of the Chaldees, modern-day Iran area, Iraq area, Iran, and found this man named Abram and said, come away from your family. In you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. Later changed his name from Abram, which means um, exalted father to Abraham, father of a multitude. And he was childless, 65 years of age, uh, 75, his wife was 65. God said, I'm going to bless all of the nations of the world through you. And your progeny will be as, as large as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your family is going to be huge. Now, God blessed, put his blessing in the earth through the faith of Abraham. And when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus cut a covenant between us and God on our behalf with his blood. Now we have a better covenant established on better promises. Is that good news? If you're a believer, you have a covenant with God and you're included in the Abrahamic covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant is included provision, direction, protection, spiritual life, and everything that you need in this life and the next. Is that good news? So see, when I talk about everything that I've got to mention in the weeks to come, your vantage point is, I'm a covenant person, I'm a covenant child, and though I go through stuff everybody else goes through, we have the same problems, but we have a different answer because we have a covenant. So don't forget that. While you're looking at the podcast and while you're reading all this stuff, don't forget that, right? So anyway, here's the bottom line of today. In the middle of the mess... God can work miracles. And I want to talk to you the rest of the time today about the miracle working power of God. 
How many know that God made the laws of physics? Uh, God made the laws of what we call quote-unquote nature as we know it. Yes or no? He's the God of nature. God placed the stars, the moon, the sun, the the, uh, solar systems in the heavenlies and they continue to expand. expand. He transcends creation. He's bigger than anything you can ever imagine, but but He's loving enough to know you. And that's amazing. And see, when God uh, put this covenant in the earth with Abraham, uh, he, he enacted something that was quite grand and tremendous in that regardless of what the world goes through and regardless of the challenging and difficult times his people face in whatever era of time they happen to be living, God looks at the covenant he made with Abraham and he looks at the people that believe him and he says, you know what? A thousand will fall at their side, 10,000 at their right hand, but it will not come near them. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert for my people. Yes or no? So can I just talk to you a minute? So don't forget. So let me talk about a miracle. Uh, one definition is of a miracle, and this is a little bit heady. Um, uh, uh, the, the definition of a miracle is a temporary suspension of the accustomed order. Or you could say it this way, a temporary uh, suspension of the laws of physics as we know them. Huh? A temporary overriding of, you could say, the laws of nature. How many know God can do what he wants to do? How many know God put gravity into existence, but he can defy gravity? How many know gravity let Jesus go when he left, when he left the Mount of Transfiguration? Huh? How many know something happened to Philip when he was talking to the eunuch in Acts chapter 8 and he was in a, and, and, and he was in a, in a vehicle? drawn by a horse and he was talking to a he was talking to the Ethiopia eunuch about the book of Isaiah chapter 53 he he finished preaching to him and Philip was gone he was found in Azotus 20 miles away see there are laws of locomotion you don't know about Jesus after he was raised from the dead the disciples were in a room the windows and doors were shut and suddenly he's there right in the middle of them they said, where'd you come from? No window open, no door open. God has laws of locomotion you don't know about. When Jesus finished saying everything to him, then that he needed to say, he was gone. You like my sound effects? That's just the way it was. So I'm just saying, God is not void of power to help you. And as we go into this really, really weird stage and age of of life just be aware god is going to be a miracle working god for his people back in 2012 i mean uh you know i prayed by myself a good bit and i was praying and it kept coming i could not figure out god why this just makes no sense to me why 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 are you saying this to me he kept saying to me working of miracles working of miracles now one of the gifts of the spirit first corinthians 12 8 through 10 is the working of miracles. That is where God lays aside the laws of nature as we know them and overrides them. You know, an axe head floated. Uh, how many know uh, steel usually doesn't float? It goes to the bottom. An axe head floated. I mean, you know, and we'll get into it. He, he defied the laws of nature in numbers of ways in the Bible. How many know God's still a miracle working God? 
So let me talk to you about his miracle working power. And I'm going to end with one verse that'll make all the sense in the world to everything you're about to hear. So how many know that, how, how many know that all these things in the Old Testament were written for our learning? upon whom the end of the ages comes. So we'll get to that in a minute, but I just want to want to take you through with a little scheme of Scripture and let you see the miracle-working power of God in the various eras of time, from the time of, uh, of creation until, until now, and just see what God has done. How many have heard about the man named Noah? Now, thank you, Catherine, for painting Noah on the wall in our new building. Y'all will get to see that in a couple of weeks here. But uh, Noah, how many know Noah was preserved from a flood? How many knew it, know it took God's miraculous power to deliver Noah from what was going on? Now, I'm going to say some things, and I don't have time. I've, got, I've done the research, but I don't have time. I'm just going to make some statements that you may or may not have heard. It may or may not bother you. You may or may not go, oh, how you know that? Well, I can't say right now everything I know. I'm going to give you some high spots. God revealed himself to Noah, uh, and it was 120 years before the flood came. Did you know that? In fact, uh, I think it was Noah's grandfather, Methuselah. Methuselah, when he was born, his mother was a visionary. And his mother called uh, uh, Methuselah, his name Methuselah, which means when he shall die, it shall come. Do you know God's always revealed and taken care of his people and revealed himself to his people? Not always everything they need uh, want to know, but what they need to know. And see, Methuselah's life was a signpost to his generation. And I'm sure in Noah's family, Methuselah was a signpost. Uh, Grandpa dies, it's happening, and he's going to live a long time. So when the, the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. 120 years prior to that, here's Noah, and he's minding in his own business. And the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, the, uh, and God said to Noah in Genesis chapter 6, the end of all flesh has come before me and the wickedness of man and the thoughts of man are only evil continually. And as a result, I have to destroy the entire world and I'm going to do it with a catastrophic flood. Because And up till then, the scripture reveals it hadn't even rained. People didn't know what rain was a mist came up out of the ground from the time of creation in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. A mist came up and misted the vegetables and the, the plants and things that grow from the ground. But there, and there was a cloud canopy. Uh, Bible scholars believe that literally surrounded the earth and made, made this, uh, and, and made the atmosphere of the earth so oxygenated that life would thrive. And that's the reason you go read in Genesis. Can I talk about this? That's the reason in Genesis 5, I would just love teaching a Bible school because all this is so intriguing to me, but um, uh, Methuselah was the oldest man, 969 years. Um, Adam lived 930 years. And then you go back and read Genesis 5. Uh, these guys lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. Why? Because God created us to live in a human body in perpetuity throughout eternity. And the thing that scientists say that, you know, every 7 to 11 years, all of the organs and cells of your body uh, get new material except for your brain. None of your brain cells uh, uh, refresh themselves every 7 to 11 years. You only got one set, don't mess up. <laughs> Some people need to hear that three times. Nonetheless, you know, they lived a long time. So, you know, Noah, for instance, I think was 600 years old when the flood came, Right. So you think, well, is that, were well, there's really 365 days? Yes. 
that many years. They live that. Why? Because God created us to live in eternity and physical, for eternity in physical bodies. And the only reason we die is because of sin. But the other thing is, once the flood of Noah came, the cloud canopy around the earth just di- dissipated into what we know as the flood. And those cl- that cloud can- canopy that kept the ultraviolet rays of the sun out, and that created an, uh, basically an a hyperbaric chamber for the earth so that life could thrive. You know, people who have serious accidents or people that come up, for instance, from the surface of the of the ocean, they, they have to be put in a hyperbaric chamber, which is an oxygen-saturated, pressurized container, and their, their bodies heal more quickly, right? Think about the whole earth being like that. Now, I'm going to say something here that may astound and shock you. You ready for this? I'm tying this to Revelation 14. In fact, listen, y'all ready for this? Lord, this is not going the way I thought. I'm not going to get as far as I wanted to. Just listen to Revelation 14, 9. A third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his anger, and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. You know what that just said? Nobody that takes this mark that's coming so you can buy and sell will be able to go to heaven. Now, that, has that, bothered, that all has always bothered me. It's like, God, we just want to eat. We, I mean, we just want to pay a car payment and pay the house payment. So what's going on? Why, why come? Why, why, why? Now, there's an answer here with perhaps with what happened in Noah's day. Now, most people don't know this, but if you study the Bible enough, you'll find out in Genesis chapter 6 that uh, demonic angels. How many know angels fell with Satan when he sinned? Ezekiel 28 says. And Isaiah 14 uh, gives small reference to it. These angels that sinned, that kept not, Second uh, Peter and Jude says, kept not their first estate. There are angels that fell with uh, Satan from heaven when he was kicked out of heaven in rebellion to God and they came to the earth and there's a whole lot there that I can't even touch. But during the Genesis flood, it says the sons of God came into the daughters of men. You go look all of that up. You do all of the research. In fact, Dake's Annotated Reference Bible. Genesis, J-I-N-I-S. Genesis Finnings, F-I-N-N-I-N-G-S. Dake. Uh, annotated the whole, whole Bible, and that means put, uh, put information about each verse by every verse of the Bible. So he's got four columns in his Bible and the top and the bottom of the page full of stuff. And I've got a digital form, and I've had one since 1977. He also has a book entitled God's Plan for Man, The Plan of the Ages for Man and God. And I think it was copyright 1949. He had a photographic memory, Genesis Finney's Dake did. There it is. And so he just, everything he learned, he automatically remembered. In fact, listen to this. He was, boy, I'm really going off the game here now. Uh, he, uh, in, in the 1950s, he went into a store, a store window in Atlanta, Georgia. True story. And, uh, and they watched him. They recorded him, videoed him, and recorded him. He correctly quoted Matthew 1.1 to the very end of Revelation 22, the very last verse. King James Version with punctuation. Every single verse, every single word of the New Testament. Now that's amazing to me. I, I can't do that, can you? 
So I just said all that to say he's got a lot of information about what I'm about to say, but many Bible scholars believe, and I have, I've researched this, I've looked at the pros and cons of it, it makes sense to me, but the reason for the flood of Noah was because, listen, it was because the human race got corrupted. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 6, there are several names for these. So the offspring of angel, demonic fallen angels and women. Uh, there's there's uh, Zamzumin, Rephidim, Zephilim, and there's several other names of the Old Testament gives to these the race of giants. In fact, over the past number of months, I uh, came across some history books that record the fact that every continent has has a history of giants being on that continent. Question, who do you think built the, uh, the pyramids? Fill in the blank. Could have been these giants, etc. And they're all over the place. And they're sarcophagus all over the world. I've probably said that wrong. Uh, that are weird and large that humans would have a hard time doing without modern technology. Where did that come from? Giants. And these giants are anywhere from eight feet to 45 feet tall. They've been found in North America. They were in the Smithsonian Institution until the 40s and they were taken out and, and it was expunged from the records for some strange reason. So I got a lot of information I need to quit. So bottom line was, what is the reason for the flood of Noah? Flood of Noah came because the human race got corrupted. The DNA, instead of... Uh, of man 1.0, uh, it became humanity 2.0. And there was the amalgamation of the angels and humans into physical bodies. And God said, I have no other recourse but to destroy the entire race, including the animals. And I don't have time to tell you any more detail, told you more than I needed to then. But that's the reason that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There were eight human beings whose DNA was not tainted with his strange stuff from the amalgamation of angels and humans. And that happened to be Noah and his wife and his son, the daughters and their, their husbands, eight people. And God said to Noah, I want, you to make a, I want you to make a boat. He told him how to build it, gave him the dimensions. And I think there's one in Kentucky that some of my staff members recently went to look at. Maybe you've seen it yourself, an amazing undertaking. And so God saved the human race. Question, if God could save Noah in the midst of a flood, in, in the midst of a a catastrophic catastrophe that would take every human life. Do you think he can take care of you before Jesus comes back? Answer is yes. And so let me tie this to Roman uh, Revelation 14. Could it be that instead of uh, uh, humans 1.0, humans 2.0, that there's coming a, something that creates humans 3.0? and actually alters the DNA structure of the human being. Let me tell you something about God. He only lets pure things into heaven. And if you think that God's going to let something into heaven that's not the way he created it, you got another thing coming. So could it be there's something coming down the pike and you need to think between the lines on all of this that's coming that people can ingest that will literally slowly change their DNA structure until they're not the human 1.0 God created them to be. They're human 3.0. And that reason they can't go. Even as much as God loves them, they can't go. Interesting, right? 
Interesting. I got a whole lot more to say. If you got questions, I have a lot to say and I got to move on. Bottom line, if God can take care of Noah, will he take care of you? Think about this. Abraham was um, a father at age 100. In fact, listen to the verbiage of scripture. Y'all getting some out of this yet? Genesis 21, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age and the set time that God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, Isaac. <laughs> Laughter. Then Abraham, that's what Sarah did. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded. And scientists say that's when the clotting factor of the blood finally kicks in on the eighth day. Don't circumcise them prior because they'll bleed too much. Just a thought. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. So listen to this. What do I get out of that? If God can rejuvenate the physical body of a woman, how many women in here would like to be 90 years old having a baby? Pushing a baby. Yeah, right, right. Whoa. Yeah. Carrying a baby, you're 90. Can't you see it? Yeah. Wow. God rejuvenated her so much that some of the kings of the time wanted her as their wife. They didn't realize she was an old woman. She looked like a young woman. If God can rejuvenate Abraham's body so he can father a child and Sarah's body so she can have a child and breastfeed that child, do you think God can quicken your body when he needs to? Can you trust him? If the same spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. Woo. So the older I get, I say, God, you're quickening me. You're making me alive as my days. Deuteronomy 33, 25, so will my strength be. Stop saying I'm getting old. You can't do it. Shut up and say, God, the Lord is the strength of my life and my portion forever, right? Joseph was sent by God to preserve God's people in a long famine, right? And it looked crazy what his brothers did. They sold him as a slave. He was found, he found himself in Egypt, worked himself out of prison, uh, and really to be the prime minister of Egypt. And, and really, um, uh, the long, short story of it is, uh, the, all of the Israelites who had a covenant from Abraham, they were Abraham's kids. God looked down and said, I'm going to take care of them in a severe famine that will take the life of everybody on earth unless something happens. And God gave the Pharaoh a dream that was interpreted by Joseph. Joseph became prime minister. He revealed himself to his brothers. And here's what he said. Joseph said to them, Genesis 15, 19, don't be afraid. For I am, am I in the place of God, but as for you, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many lives. So now do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You meant it for evil. God turned it around for good. Sometimes the worst thing in the life that seems that it could happen to you can turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. January 11th, 2013, uh, some that know me are familiar with the story. I ride bikes on the Noose River Trail, and I was on my uh, 29er mountain bike, one of the first bikes I had, and I have a road bike. But uh, I was uh, six miles from home. I was uh, leaving for Ethiopia the following Sunday. 
Uh, it had rained somewhat that morning. There were new bridges with oil on the wood. And, uh, and uh, so anyway, I uh, took a 90-degree turn on a bridge and broke my left humerus. This is one of the largest bones in your body, about three inches below my, my shoulder. And my arm just lay limp. And uh, bottom line was, I said, God, and I have a big story. I don't have time to tell you the whole story except to say as results of me not being able to go to Ethiopia because you can't fly with broken bones because your bones bleed. And there could be blood clots as a result. And they, so the doctor said, you cannot fly to Ethiopia. That's a long trip you spend in excess of 35, 40 hours getting there. And many of those hours are, you know, you got, you know, eight hours to London, then you got another 10 hours, you know, to Africa, et cetera. So said, you can't go. You just can't go. I said, all right, good. Because I was here, we're in this building. Did you hear what I just said? Because, because that happened to me. We're in the, now, now, did God do that to me? Uh-uh. But, you know, Romans eight twenty eight says all things work together for good. Did you hear me? To them that love God. So in your future, here's the way you need to figure this out. I don't care what happens to you, what circumstance you may find yourself in, or what scheme the devil may have to hinder your life. God always turns things around for you. He's amazing. He's the God of the miraculous, the God of the impossible. So what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn around. You just got to have that mindset. How many are ready to put that mindset on today? Lift your hands with me, Father. In our future, turn what seems to be bad into something good. Make things grand that look awful and gory in Jesus' name. Work the impossible in your people. You agree with that? Wow. Moses parted the Red Sea and was delivered and delivered Israel from annihilation. Here's the verbiage, Exodus 14, 19. Then the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel moved, went behind them, and a pillar of the cloud moved before them and stood behind them. So the, it camp came between the camp and the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night. So it was the cloud between as Israel came out of Egypt, as God said to Pharaoh, let my people go, as the firstborn died, as they gave the lamb of sacrifice that night before, and God said, "Get your have your clothes on your back, your shoes on your feet, have your food in your hand, we're taking off, boys. They got all the way up to the Red Sea, and the enemy were about to overcome come them God put a cloud between the Israelites and the enemy I don't care what it looks like in the United States of America as judgment falls don't forget you have a covenant a ju a judgment came on Egypt all ten gods that Egypt worshipped in a major way judgment came on them but God made a way for his people they were in the land of Goshen and those, those plagues did not bother them and in the future when stuff begins to happen don't forget Egypt don't forget Israel. Don't forget Moses. Don't forget what happened. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land so that the waters were divided. The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea, that is the Red Sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on their left. The waters congealed, Psalm says, in the midst of the sea. God froze the waters 
It was a wall of frozen water on the left and right and the wind blew and they didn't have muddy feet. They had dry feet going through two and a half million people. Did you hear me? Then they looked back and saw the Egyptians coming and say, Oh my Lord, what are we going to do? We just came out of Egypt, but they're going to overwhelm us and kick our butts. We don't have any way to defend ourselves. But the Lord said, I'll take care of that. Put a torch back on the Red Sea and those waters can't, that were frozen came unfrozen and they landed right on the, in the middle of the Egyptians that were in the middle of the Red Sea. Since then, uh, researchers have found, have found the wagon wheels, the chariot wheels and such, right in the bottom of the red. Isn't that awesome? If God can do that to them, when it looks impossible, can God make the possible happen for you? Friends, go back and read these stories. The same God for Israel is the God for us. The same God that worked miracles then can work miracles now. How many hear me? That's what I'm hearing the Lord say to me. The Israel, y'all okay? You want me to quit? Want me to keep going? I got a little bit more. The Israelites were fed by manna in a desert for almost 40 years. Exodus 16, 35, the children of Israel ate manna. The word manna, Hebrew means what is it? They didn't even know what it was. They'd never seen anything like it. Psalm says men did eat angels food. The children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to be to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So you got to get the picture. Two and a half million people coming out of Egypt where they were taken care of, where they had food, where they had sustenance, where they had full water. They literally walked into a desert and walked in a circle because of their unbelief for 40 years. But in Exodus 16, at the beginning of their journey... Uh, uh, they didn't, God, they said, God, how are we going to eat? Moses said, God, how are we going to eat? What are we going to do? They cried out for meat because they had meat in Egypt. God sent so many quail. How many quail do you think coveys of quail would it take to feed two and a half million people? That's a lot of birds flying around and a lot of bird poop on the ground, by the way. But he said there was so much that they ate so much meat, they got tired of it. And God had to stop the quail from coming in. Their bellies got sore from the quail. And then God said, okay, I'm going to feed you manna. And so the Israelites had to get up every morning before the dew dried, which is an excellent type and shout out. If you spend the time with God in the morning, uh, before the dew dried, and they had to pick up just enough for the day, not enough for tomorrow, just enough for today, or it would breed worms and stink. If God can provide food for two and a half million people in a desert, can God provide food for you when these people that are doing this Project 2030 thing create famines? Did you know they have an ability with H-A-A-R-P to manipulate nature? Did you know they have the ability and they have other things that I don't have time to talk about? About, they have things where they can actually create fires. Did you know that? You wonder why these chicken houses are, are being obliterated. I forgot there were 100, over a hundred of them in the U.S. alone. Uh, you wonder why, how these animals are dying? Well, there's technology available that I don't have time to talk to you about. That's just the bottom line. I don't have time. But nonetheless, if all that's happening and they're creating famines, Revelation 6, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, where Jesus talked about what would be happening with famines and pestilence and mess, if God can take care of two and a half million people in a desert and it looks impossible for them to 
get food? Can he take care of you in the middle of what these people are trying to do? A hundred percent, yes. You've just got to trust him. Quit belly aching and saying, I don't have nothing. Say, my God meets all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Did you know that in the middle of the desert, God provided water for these two and a half million people? Generally in the desert, you don't have water. You look in the distance and you see a mirage. It looks like water, but it's pseudo water. You run to the water and it's not there. It's the atmosphere playing a trick on you. But most God said to Moses, these people need water. I'm going to give them some water. I want you to take the same rod that you, that you just pointed over the Red Sea and point it at a rock. And when you do that, water's going to come out of the rock. And God from rocks gave two and a half million people water. Do you think God can provide for you when those who think they know more than God try to take every single thing away from you? They have forgot the God of the Bible. They have forgot the miracles of the Old Testament. What God did in yesteryear, he'll do for us today. Exodus 17, 5, the Lord said to Moses, pass over before the people take you with you. Some of the elders of Israel take in your hand your rod with which you struck the Nile and go. Indeed, I'll stand before you on the rock in the... in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and there water shall come out of it, so that the people may drink. Then Moses did it in the sight of the elders of Israel. God did it for them. Can he do it for us? Don't forget that God enabled a little teenage boy, 16 years old, red-haired, freckle-faced. He's on the, he's on the walls in our new building. His name was David. He, the God used him to kill a giant that taunted all of Israel. This giant was huge. This guy was large. Nobody wanted to fight him because he could whip their tail with his little finger. But David had a covenant with God, the Bible says. He had, he had delivered his sheep from the mouth of the lion and from the paw of the bear. And he said this uncircumcised Philistine that doesn't have a relationship with God and doesn't have a covenant. He's no match for me. My God is bigger than him and my little stone can whip his tail. And that's exactly what happened when the Philistines arose, 1 Samuel 17, and came near to meet David. David hurried and ran toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took from there a stone. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead therefore the stone stone stuck into his forehead and he fell upon the face his face to the ground so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and let me add with a tremendous faith in God and he struck down the Philistine and slew him but there was no sword in the hand of David. How many know God can do the impossible when it looks like everything's over if it's not ready for it to be over it ain't over I see, when I was reading that, you know what it reminded me of? In 2008, I was in Goma, Congo, and there was a convoy, make a long story short, a convoy, there was some, some attacks, and there were some military uprisings at night. And bottom line, the next day, the military was running out of town. That is, the Congolese military were being uh, run out of town by the enemy forces. And one of the tanks got out of formation, came right in front. We were in an SUV on the side of the road. And y'all, it looked like my life was over. It looked like there was absolutely no way I could survive. And my mind actually started thinking about what it would feel like to become a pancake. Once the, I mean, really, once the, once the um, uh, tank ran over us, and, and and I didn't have time to think. That's all I could think. I didn't have time to pray. And just before it went up, the shadow was on our vehicle, and vehicle, and suddenly before it hit us, it, I don't know how they do it. It, it pivoted, 
and it was gone. It was just gone. And, and, and I, I thought, how? I'm telling you, if it's not your time, you're not going, if you'll trust God. Huh? If God can do that for David, God can do it for you. In the midst of a challenge, in the midst of a difficulty, God can work miracles. How many know God fed a lady and her boy during a drought with a supply of wheat and olive oil and it kept multiplying in the containers it was in until the drought ran out. See, they're trying to take our food from us. How many know can God can multiply food? If he multiplied food in the Old Testament, can he in the New? We have a better covenant established on better promises. And the miracles that God performed then, he can perform now. If you don't need a miracle, you don't need it. If life is going well, you don't need a miracle. But when challenges come, God's miracle working power shows up. Yes or no? 1 Kings 17, 13, Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as they have said, but make a little cake for me first. Give first and bring it to me. Afterwards, make some for your son and for you. And thus says the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal will not run out, nor will the jar of oil empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She went and did what Elijah told her to do. And she, and, uh, and she he, and her household ate many days. The barrel of meal did not run out, nor did the jar of oil empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to, spoke by Elijah. Isn't that awesome? Did you know God fed a prophet from a bird's beak? People saying, you ain't going to have enough food. You know what? God's got lots of food. And God has lots of birds. 1 Kings 17, 4. You shall drink, this is Elijah, drink from the brook if I have, as I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by Kareth Brook, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens. I don't know what I have done. It's wanting me to call 911. I'm not kidding. I did not fall. I'm good. The ravens, you need to hear this too. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. You know what that tells me? That tells me when, when it looks impossible, God is the God of the impossible. He's the God of the possible. God can feed that. If he can feed Elijah, he can feed you. If he can take care of Elijah, he'll take care of you. Why? We have a covenant with God just the way Elijah did. Is it true? And you can expect God to do that. God protected Daniel from hungry lions as he spent the night in a pit with them. Daniel would not compromise. And we're living in a day you don't want to compromise. You don't need to compromise. When you compromise, listen, you will lose the power and presence of God. And we go into our future, we need his power. And most of all, we need his presence. We need his love. We need his care. He needs to succor us. He needs to love us and minister to us. Yes or no? Daniel 6.20, when he came to the den, he cried with a voice. This is the king. Full voice of sorrow to Daniel. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has God, your God whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that he... How, that they have not hurt me because innocence was found in me before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. If God took care of Daniel, will he take care of you? When it looks impossible, can God make something possible? Yeah. 
Can God protect you when it looks like you're not going to be able to be protected? They were three Israeli guys that were saved from death when, when thrown into a huge furnace, a huge pit of fire. In fact, the people that threw them in died. There were several men that died just throwing them in. It was heated seven times hotter than normal. And the reason they were put in there is because they would not bow and worship foreign and false gods. Now listen to me. There are people in America that want us to, they want us to forget about the God of the universe. They want us to forget about the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus. They want us to forget the God of the Bible. They want us to forget the morals of the Bible. And you know what? We need to stand up and say, I don't know about you, but for me and my house, we're going to continue to serve the Lord. And you need to do that come what may, regardless of what it means, even if it means you get put in prison. That's what happened to Daniel, and that's what happened here to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when you meet, need a miracle, God's got plenty in his pocket. You need to know it. Daniel 3.26, Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, spoke and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, your servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The officials, the governors, the captains, the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Now listen, here's what, now this has been coming to me in prayer. Now, we're as close to nuclear war as we ever have been. Did you know that? Did you, and it looks like our government wants it to happen. They're not trying to negotiate. And there's reasons I don't have time to get in. If nuclear bombs fall on the soil of America, did you know God can do to you what he did to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can walk in a cubicle of the protective covering power of God so it doesn't touch you. Can you trust him to do that? He has not lost his ability, y'all. So, you know, you hear all this stuff and you're seeing all this stuff. You don't have to be afraid of this stuff. Is this good? I got a lot more to share, but I'm going to stop right there. Except to read this. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, all these things happen to them, for examples. Talking about these Old Covenant Testament people. They are written as an admonition to us upon whom the end of the ages has come. Now, why did God put all that in the Bible? Just for good stories for us to tell our kids? No. He did that stir your faith up. So that before Jesus comes back, when hail lands, when stuff is happening, when it looks like you're not going to make it, when it looks like you don't have food, when it don't, looks like you don't have water, when it looks like you're going to die, God can make a way. Because you're going to be the most miraculous people that have ever lived. And there is, a, there is a generation that is going to see the power of God manifested in the days to come like it has never been manifested before. And you're the generation that's going to experience that. All God asks us to do is walk with Him, love Him, come away from impurity and unholiness and love Him and ask Him to do what it looks like is impossible. And you know what? He will do for you 
what he did to Noah, what he did for Abraham, what he did for Joseph, what he did for Moses, what he did for Elijah, what he did for Daniel, what he did for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and everybody else. How many know he's a good God and he'll be faithful to you? Stand up on your feet. I don't know about you, but I am ready to dance. Yeah. Now I come from a Southern Baptist church and we don't dance in the Southern Baptist church. But you're not in a Southern Baptist church. You're right here. So I don't know what you got. You need something that not slow, something fast. Because I want to dance. Yeah. Come on, lift your hands up. Glory. Lord, let your encouragement come upon your people. Let the Spirit of God come upon your people. Let the Spirit of faith come upon your people. Let the Spirit of belief come upon your people. And Lord, let the Spirit of doubt and fear, let it be removed from this room in the name of Jesus. Say it out loud with me, Heavenly Father. I thank you that you're my Father and that you have a covenant with me. And because I know Jesus, I have a covenant with you. And Heavenly Father, right now, I place my life in your hands. I thank you that what you did for Noah, what you did for Abraham, what you did for Joseph, what you did for Moses, what you did for Daniel, what you did for Elijah, what you did for Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, you can do for me. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for the provision of food. Thank you for the provision of water. Thank you for the provision of protection. Most of all, thank you for your love and your divine care and for the eternity that we have together. In Jesus' name. Stop right. Let me, let me. Now, now, now I want to do this. I, I, you know, I don't, there's a big crowd here today. If you just had any idea how much the Lord loves you. I've been near death six times. Two times before I came to Jesus. I've said it many times. Four times since then. You just don't know how. And you know when you reach those times. You just don't have time to think. Your mind thinks for you. I just can't express how the grace of God comes into life when you're in a hard place. And I just want to make sure everybody here is going to heaven. The default of your life is not heaven, my friend. It is hell. If you do nothing and just have fun and, and fulfill your appetites, you're going to go to hell. If you keep doing what you're doing without Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. Even though God loves you and cares about you, you will go to hell. Doesn't matter. God's got 8 billion people plus all the people that lived in the past to deal with. He's got to be fair and equitable to every single one of them. Figure that out, will you? He has standards. And the standard is the only way you can be pure enough to enter the gates of heaven is by having your sins forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's more than just praying a prayer. It's giving your life to him. And it's, it's really repentance saying, God, I no longer want to do what I've been doing. I'm ready to make the changes I need to make. How many hear me? See, that's really important. So, so I don't know where you are, but God knows where you are.
in what you believe in. And my goal is to help you get there. So, so today, I, I, can we pray? And maybe you're here. I, I don't even need to see your hand. God knows your heart. If you need to pray and give your life to Jesus, I, I wouldn't wait. I left a church service July uh, 16th, uh, 1975. Five minutes later, had a catastrophic accident that almost killed my girlfriend. She stayed in the hospital several days with a huge concussion, throwing up. Terrible. Almost went through the windshield. And I wasn't walking with God then. But God had mercy on my life. So you're not promised tomorrow. Young people particularly, you think you got tomorrow? Think again. You may not. But today you're here and you can make things right with God. That's my heart. I just want you to go to heaven. I just want you to go. And before you get to heaven, I want you to know God and know his provision and know his love and care. Is that good? So would you please, everybody, close your eyes. Lift both hands up to heaven. If you need this, pray with me. Give your life to Jesus. Repent of your sin. I'm going to help you do it. If you've already done it, let's pray and help those that haven't yet. Pray with me out loud. Heavenly Father, I want you and I need you. And sir, I ask you to forgive me for my sin, my sinful lifestyle, what I've said, what I've done, how I've acted out. Forgive me, sir. I'm all wrong. And you're right. And I ask you, help me to change the way that I need to change. Help me to put off all these things that distract me from you. I believe the Bible that Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God. I believe that He died for my sin. I believe that He was raised from the dead to make me right with you. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me from everything I've ever done wrong. In Jesus' name, beginning right now, Father, I ask you, let me be your child. Holy Spirit, come inside of me and live big in me and help me for the rest of my life. I give my life to you, beginning this moment in time for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Everybody just lift your hands. I don't care if you've been saved like me for 40-something years. Thank you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for not throwing us away and giving up on us. It is of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. Thank you. For those that prayed that prayer, thank you for your mercy and grace being on them. Thank you for helping them. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Ooh, glory to God.